Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. surfing in the second one it is a dream of mine like I every day when I pray I'm like Jesus don't take me off this planet until I've mattress surfed hello and welcome to crush the podcast brought to you by the believe podcast network I'm Kirsten Lyons and I'm joined by my cousin and co-host Aaron Raider store Aaron guess what what my boyfriend turned 40 this week oh I know did you get him anything I did um I got him my respect <laughs> Yes, and I, would love to I wrote him a letter. Oh, I'm sorry. I did not write him a letter. I wrote a letter to my teacher. Found husband. a letter that you wrote. Yes. Yes. I found a letter. It, okay. This is what's crazy. So uh, we have like, I have this big bin of like a memory stuff. So it's pictures and all this stuff. And I have a folder from Crushed, the solo show that I did, you know, years ago that kind of eventually inform this podcast. So I have, and it's got like props from it and all these different things. Cause I used a 3d like, or not a 3d. I use like a classroom projector for the show anyway. And so I'm looking for the letter because I know I had a copy that I had made that I would put on like a poster when people walked in so they could kind of meet me and see how interesting I was as a child. <laughs> and, um, but I found the actual letter and I had never looked at the date. Or I don't remember looking at the date. And I was like, yeah, I'm pretty sure I was 14 or maybe 15. I looked at it and it just said 2296. And I kept looking at it being like 2299. And it you wasn't- wrote that letter when you were like a teenager. I wrote that letter when I was 14. I thought you wrote that letter when you were significantly younger. How dare you? How dare <laughs> you? When I was 14, I also ran down to the basement and screamed, why God, why? When he kissed the girl. Mm, on home improvement. It was a really challenging time. I was like really young, like really, really young young 14. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So was I, so was I just in different ways. I legitimately thought we were going to get married because here's the thing. Like I, I loved guys who had a sense of humor and kind of had that smart ass sense of humor. And it really came from Alex P Keaton on family ties and um, uh, Han Solo. Like I, oh my gosh, I loved like guys that banter at stop. So Jonathan Taylor Thomas, who got the the best on the verge of like a little bit mean to you. Well, yeah. (laughs) I mean, you're like, I love banter. And I'm like, um, pretty sure that's just bullying. Yeah, (laughs) no, I, well, I mean, I was bullied and we, and by the way, on our, on this week's episode, we have a phenomenal guest, Vanessa, and we actually talk about bullying. We talk about kind of these, the ways we thought we could maybe heal uh, through validation and her and I, you as well, like we all kind of talk about bullying and fame and, and this kind of creative world. And, and so it was, it was, it was a really good episode. We talk about Princess Diaries too, because yeah. naturally. film that informed a generation. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, real quick, just to wrap up, you know, my boyfriend turning 40. So to go back to the date and I'm looking at the actual letter, which by the way, it's like, it's, it was on recycled wide ruled paper. Like it's so flimsy and I'm looking at it and I'm like two, two ninety six, two, two. And it literally like it hit me. Oh my gosh. Ashley was literally, she could have been born or she was like minutes away from being born. When I wrote this letter, I, really 
thought I was going to marry Jonathan Thomas. Like with every fiber of my being, I thought we were going to be married. It just made sense. Right. I was short at the time. He was shorter. He was funny. I thought I was funny. Like it just, it made sense. (laughs) Just, I loved him and spoiler alert. I didn't marry him and we never met, but but last week's episode, they met, she almost pooped her pants, but whatever. I just was like looking at that thinking how incredible life is that I really wanted something to happen and it didn't happen. But on that exact date where I'm literally writing to my future husband, I I mean, I wrote to my future husband all the time for the, honestly, for the simple fact that I just was like, no boys liked me. And it felt like I had hope writing to this guy. Mm -hmm. My oldest daughter was being born on that exact day. And here I am crying and writing about. um, Well, you're, you're also like, not only do I want to be loved, but I want to love somebody so badly. Mm. You know what I mean? And then this person comes into your life that you got the opportunity to love like so beautifully. Mm-hmm. It's so cool that not only the surprises of life here, I'm over here thinking this, and this is what's really going on. And it's going to meet up at one point. I just yeah. thought it was so silly. Like it's so sweet and so silly that this little girl just really wanted to be with a celebrity. I think so much of that Jonathan Taylor Thomas felt like he knew me was because he was funny. He did what I wanted to do. I wanted to be on sitcoms. I wanted to like, you know, go to school on set and drive around in the golf cart and play basketball and then do my theater. Cause that's basically what a sitcom mm-hmm. is. It's just live theater on Friday nights and then go out for pizza with the gang. You know, it was like this, this whole world and that's all I wanted. And so that's, I put all of that into that desire to be with this person. Cause I felt like he knew me, even though I was lying to him in the letter I did write to him and tell him that I love Gouda. And again, I just, I want to apologize for that lie. I don't, I just want to apologize, Jonathan. I lied to you. You can't eat cheese. I can't eat cheese. I mean, I do sometimes I fake it, but not back then. And definitely not. I didn't even know what Gouda was. So I'm sorry. I'm sorry for the lies, Jonathan. I'm sorry for the lies, but I'm not sorry for this episode that's coming up. It's delightful. Also, I'm so glad that you're here. Me? Yeah. Oh, I'm glad that I'm here too. (laughs) What else would I be doing? Surfing. Surfing. Surfing with an ear infection. Wait, before. Oh, yes. Oh, are you going to tell them? So we were recording. Wait, two things. So we were recording previously and we just could not get it together. So I deleted it. But really funny. She goes, uh, I think I, I love, I'm getting back to the surfing. I love it, but I think I have an ear infection. And then like five minutes later, she's like, wait, can we pause? Because I have to get some Motrin. The ear infection wasn't just for content. And I was like, I'm sorry. Do you think our listeners really want that's what people, they're coming to this podcast to be like, what is happening with Aaron's eardrum? People love relatable content. You know, <laughs> I'm just like you guys. I get ear infections too. Pretty regularly. It's actually After a problem. surfing in Malibu. And someone recommend a specialist. <laughs> no, but actually, um, you know what I realized? I love Wait, surfing. before, can you please tell the story of when you were surfing? When I, yeah. So I'm one of those I have a lot of ear, nose, throat issues, just throwing that out there to start with. So I have to plug my nose when I jump in the water or my sinuses like are in such pain. I can't even describe it. My first day back surfing, I'm on a new size board. I went from a 10 to an eight, um, which is not easy. I need to know for anybody else. I don't know what she's talking about, but I'm excited. Great. I went, uh, basically the board I'm on now is two feet shorter than the other board I had. Oh, I see. Okay. Yes. It was, I went from a 10 foot to an eight foot. I also haven't Johnny almost, tsunami. I almost had, I also haven't surfed in about two years. So this is my first day back out. I already knew I was going to take it easy. Um, 
and I hadn't gotten like a good wave yet. And then I catch this incredible wave. It was beautiful. And I, oh, I, anyway, it was great. I was so excited and I didn't want to go all the way back to shore. So I was going to jump off early and I went to jump off and I went to grab my nose and I just punched myself in the face, (laughs) right in the face. And I was like, well, cool moment over quickly. But I realized this, the reason that I love surfing, Mm -hmm. and this is a whole other episode we could get into. It drives me insane when people say I'm a perfectionist because I don't think I am. I genuinely don't think I am. And surfing feels like the one thing that I can enjoy where I don't feel like anyone can be perfect at it because the conditions are always changing. So it feels so low stress because I'm like, I don't know, my mom will not play mini golf with me. Like she absolutely, she under no, that or bowling, she will not do it. And I agree. In New York right now, there is a Pixar putt-putt thing set up. And I'm so sad because I am not there. Well, we, I used to be like, no guys, it'll be different this time. And I'd go, I'd go play mini golf. You're an addict. You're like, Hey guys, no, this time it's different. I can handle myself. So I went to play mini golf with, um, my boyfriend at the time. And then our two friends, and I made it to about whole seven before I was like, I need, I need to stop. And I stopped (laughs) because I was getting furious. And I think they thought I was like putting it on, like to be funny. No, I can't. Cause it's something that should be so easy and I'm so bad at it. And it drives me insane. That is a whole episode right there. It's something that should be so easy and I'm so bad at it. And it drives me insane. Do you know what? I want to ask our followers, what is something that you feel should be so easy that is not, is hard for you. Um, And it makes you mad for, for a lot of people. I know a lot of people feel the same way about baking, like baking with a mix the directions are pretty simple. You mix the stuff, you pour it in and still things end up like, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I know a lot of people feel that way. Interesting. I'm not one of those people because I'm incredible at baking. <laughs> On that note, meet <laughs> Vanessa. Before I even introduce who you are, what does that quote behind you say? If you oh, are if you are more fortunate than others, build a longer table, not a taller fence. I like strategically placed it there. So when <laughs> I started working, like everyone kind of knows where I'm coming from. <laughs> like this is literally me. <laughs> this is quote. who I am. This is what I believe. Oh, that's great. Okay. Well, we're here. Vanessa, can I ask you a real quick question? Yeah, is that would you like to be Vanessa Goldberg or would you like to be Vanessa Z Goldberg? Would you like to be Vanessa Zuleta Goldberg? Go for the whole shebang. I I love going for the whole thing. So yeah, it's Vanessa Zuleta Goldberg. Oh my god! Say it one more time. Vanessa Zuleta Goldberg. That's how you say it in Spanish, though. You could say it like Vanessa Zuleta Goldberg. So like the Zuleta. But you said so New York. You were like, you could say it like uh, Vanessa Zuleta Goldberg, okay? Okay, that's what you could do. You know, if my mother says it the first way, I'm usually in trouble. You know, if there's the Spanish kind of context around it, I've screwed up. Vanessa is a digital content creator, a writer, and a Billboard top 10 singer when she's alone. I like to think I'm funny. <laughs> um, you are. I actually told Erin, I was like, she's real funny. So she did say excited. <laughs> and she's been working with young people in the church for almost 13 years now. Thir- How old are you? Um, I started working as a full-time, well, I won't say full-time youth minister, as a part-time youth minister when I was 15, which the reason for that was we came from a really like poor church. 
Mm-hmm. And a bunch of us were just like, we need a youth group. Like we have issues and there's stuff about the church we don't get. And you need to hire someone to be our youth minister. And our pastor at the time was like, if you want a youth group, you do it. And um, because I was the one who opened my big mouth, it kind of landed on my plate. And so I started running our youth group at 15, um, <laughs> 14, 15. You were I, the youth. I had no idea what I was doing. Um it was a lot of Google. Uh, I know I did a lot of things wrong, um, which is why I've been doing it for so long. I've like been doing it since I was a youth. I've been working in. Yeah. YouTube, and then it literally became my career <laughs> to some extent. Um, never in a million years did I think I was going to study theology and do youth ministry. But Oh, well, we always love talking to someone that it starts out with never in a million years, because that's basically <laughs> the theme of Crush. For me, it's a cosmic joke. Like it's a huge God joke That's where I landed. I'm like, wow. Also never in a million years sounds like um, the title track off Taylor Swift's new album. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. Which I know you have a deep, deep love for T-Swizzle. Oh gosh. Yeah. I, you know, it's, it's a guilty pleasure. Taylor Swift could tell me to jump and I would say how high queen, <laughs> how high, like absolutely a hundred percent. Yeah. I just, I don't know why. And I was not a Taylor Swift fan. When like her first album came out, I was like trash, <laughs> absolute trash. When I heard teardrops on my guitar, I was like trash. I, I hated it. And then I heard love story sold. Uh, I was going to say teardrops on my guitar was my like exception. I was not a Taylor fan for the longest time. No, I hated te- teardrops on my guitar. I was like, stop crying. Get over yourself. You're so dramatic. Like. <laughs> You're rich and famous. Some of us have to go through this in real time, like <laughs> our little high schools, you know, no one cares about us. Um, and then I heard love story and I just lost my mind. So instead of the, the old season one question, um, I want to know from you that when you had a slumber party, like when you were a kid, what was the movie that you always watch? Oh, Princess Diaries. Yeah. One, two, or both? The the mattress surfing in the second one, it is a dream of mine. Like I, every day when I pray, I'm like, Jesus, don't take me off this planet until I've mattress surfed. (laughs) Like once I've done that, good to go. When Raven Simone gets up to do her like, oh my gosh, song. I was a huge huge Raven. I still like when that's so Raven was like the show, like that was like my show. Like I'd be like, Yep, that's me. Like that that was like Raven was who I wanted to be in life. And so yeah, Princess Diaries. I, I yeah. I just love that like she picked herself. I was like, yes, girl, you do not need a king. Like I was looking at all the girls in the sub I was like, we do not need kings. We are queens. <laughs> <laughs> um but also that like she got to kiss him on the day of the coronation too, like best of both worlds. Also like, when she goes like in the microphone at the end when she's like, grandma, I didn't get my whatever, but you can still you get, yours. get yours. I was like, oh, get Hector Elizondo. My eyes are watering just thinking oh, about it. And then when they pass the crown at the end. Oh, yes, like the eagle has landed for the, the last oh, time. Oh, God. Stop. Absolutely Stop. <laughs> Oh, well, guys, this has been great. This is a great episode of Crush. Thank you, Vanessa, for coming wow, on. That's thanks all we for wanted coming. to talk about. <laughs> having me. Um, this is amazing. Okay, so MASH. So would you have, lit, when you were 12, mansion, apartment, shack, or home? Uh, mansion, because I wanted to be like the most famous person in the world. Naturally. I was, 
I, it was disgusting how attached to fame I was. As a Hi, kid. welcome to Crush the Podcast. And what did you want to be when you grew up? I wanted to be a musician. I, I wanted to be a singer. That was like literally my dream growing up. Was it Taylor or was there somebody else when you no. were younger? So when I was younger, um, a lot of it was with, with Spanish music, just being introduced to Spanish music, like as a kid through my parents and my grandparents. My dad also introduced me to like just random. We listened to, to like Etta James, Tina Turner, Duran Duran, like all that kind of stuff. Like it was just all over. And I just absolutely loved Whitney. it. Was Whitney in uh, there? Whitney. Um, I'm trying to think who else. Was Selena in there? Well, I was going to say the person who like was really impactful for me as a kid was when my parents introduced me to Selena and I was just like, I want to be like the next Selena. Like I used to literally take my mom's bras and run around the house. Like it's my bustier. <laughs> like a super conservative household. So like my parents, like we like listen to Selena and stuff like that, but they were always like, oh, she have to wear bras on stage and all this stuff. And I was just like, it's okay. Cause like when I do it, they're going to be like, we understand why. Like, and like my mom says, like, I was singing from the moment my mouth could like make noise. Like I just loved music. I loved singing. I played piano for like six years. I've been playing guitar for almost 10. Like it was just, and I've been songwriting. We've been packing up our apartment because we're moving. And I found all my old songwriting journals from when I was like eight up until when I stopped, which was like in college. Cheesiest, dumbest lyrics ever. Yeah, for me, it was songwriting. It was music. Like I, I made up songs about everything. I sang everywhere. Um, and like I started singing very young in our church choir. And um, there were there's a, a pretty decent like Hispanic Catholic music. Mm-hmm up in New England um, and they like have their own little recording studios and stuff and so I started like recording very just local regional like album pieces with with these folks and all that stuff and then like in high school like I joined literally a Catholic youth band we called ourselves Stone Refuge there's still some of my friends today but like I laugh at just like we had such big dreams like we were like we're in a South Stadium <laughs> um but like, it was literally a place of safety and comfort for me was music. Like mm -hmm. I just loved performing. I loved singing. And where did you want to live? I'd love, well, I wanted to. So when I was little, I made this like kind of verbal presentation to my parents about why we needed to move to Nashville, Tennessee. Naturally. Uh, did not convince them at all. Um, they were just like, keep, keep dreaming kid. I, my dad is a banker. So I was like, there's banks there too. <laughs> banker there too. Duh, dad, it's really not um, that hard. And so I really wanted to go to Nashville. I wanted to record a demo. And then like, I just saw myself in like the next big city, like either LA or New York, like just where there are producers and recording studios and whatnot. Like that, that was where I wanted to go. Okay. Yeah. So, and who did you want to marry? My like middle school, early teen crush. Do you know William Mosley? Mm -mm. He was Peter in the Chronicles of Narnia. I do exactly. He oh. I, I, like he was just so cute. Well, okay. And then the other guy in the Chronicles of Narnia, who's now in the new show, um, Shadow, Shadow and Bone. Bone, Prince Caspian. What's his name? Oh, I forgot. I forget. His I don't name. know the yeah, Ben. Some those two. I could watch Chronicles of Narnia all day. Caspian and Susan are my just like. Oh, oh Susan was so cool. I'm so pissed that that never happened. It just, it makes me so angry. I could throw down with Aslan for not letting that happen.
Wait, what didn't happen? What are we talking about? So, so Prince Caspian in like the second movie and then one of the four kids, Susan, like she's older now. Yeah, they're like, they have a little- Get together, but like- They, they never, never get together. Each other again, kind of a thing. And it's because Susan and like Peter- They're going to the real life, yeah. Yeah. And like, yeah, I could throw down with Evelyn for not letting them get together. I, well, it, on the phone, we have C.S. Lewis. C.S. Seriously, C.S. Lewis, you ruined that that enemies to lover for me because they did like <laughs> in the beginning and then mm-hmm. they were like vibing. Or when they like do it and like at the end, like they don't even get together. It's just like they kiss. And I'm like, you made me sit through two and a half hours of what? I can never get that time back now. My sister was so angry at the end of High School Musical, the first one that um, Troy and Gabriella didn't oh, kiss. Never she was livid, like livid. So then she was like waiting in two. And by the time two finally came out, she was kind of like, eh, I'm older now. She just was burn it all down. Yeah, just burn it all down. Did you become a famous singer? Are you married to William Massey? And do you live in a mansion? And do you live in Nashville on your way to New York or? None, uh, none of the above. I live in a tiny apartment in El Paso, Texas. You are doing the damn thing. (laughs) I married essentially a country boy, so no. (laughs) Uh, That's amazing. Well, let's set the stage. Set the stage for your crush moment. Yeah. So, I mean, I think for me, it was like this attachment that I had to fame, like growing up as a kid. Um, As a like daughter of immigrants, success is tied to like actual tactile things that you can see, awards you can receive, right? Like that's like a big thing from a very early stage. I just viewed success as like an attachment with fame. Like if people were like saying you're like giving you accolades and stuff and you can bring that back, whether it's like an award or just like a mention and something like that, that means that you made it. And so I like, I was very attached with that idea as a kid. I also loved movies and music. Like I was kind of a weirdo. I was like an extrovert who was too loud. So like not a lot of people wanted to be around me and then I'd become super introverted so like I I just had very little friends um I came from a really strict household so like there was very like you know other people had maybe more freedom to chill with their friends than I did so like I had a lot of time to just like I don't know watch tv and movies that like also weren't super popular like I was a big Little House on the Prairie fan growing up up until high school like it was it was psychotic like Wow, Laura, like Charles Ingalls, the guy who plays Michael Landon. Uh, we were just talking wow. about Michael Landon on our last episode, but wow. uh, Angel, but like, I Highway loved, to Heaven. Yeah, I loved watching. I had all I had all nine series in DVD, the box. Did sets. you read the books? I, I, they were the first books that I started reading when I oh was Oh my like, gosh. Was his name Amos? Reading. No, his name wasn't Amos. What was his name? Laura's husband. But um, oh, I forget. Almanzo. Almanzo. Great name. Do you remember yeah. the cousin who Wait, had like a, he like died. He had like became an addict in one episode. And I think he yeah, died. Yeah, his real name is Matthew. I forget what his actual, Albert. Albert, yes. So yeah, I had a crush on Albert. Don't tell me you know Albert because I had a massive No, 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 I don't know. Albert would also be like 20 years older than me. No, I don't know Albert, but I was going to say that. Oh, I had a crush on Almanzo. Like, hello. Yeah. But yeah. I was going to say that my, we used to watch it like as a family all the time. Like the oh, Christmas specials. Oh my gosh. But there's like some really intense episodes, like really intense episodes. And I remember one time my sister's husband was like, I guess she sat and watched it with him. I don't really remember, but it was the episode where I think Albert like was addicted or like- Like addicted to Coke or I think- Yeah, like, and it was like bleeding or something. I don't really remember. Yeah, he has like, like withdrawals. Yes, 
Yes. And my sister's husband was like, you guys watched this before you got on the bus. <laughs> and they were like, our childhood is different than most. My mom was always showing us like a very special episode of something. And then we'd sit down yeah. and have a discussion. Me too. But like, I just like, I don't know. I was like kind of an awkward kid. I wasn't into like mainstream music and movies because they were like super strict about it. So like I was listening to old stuff that my dad would listen to. I had big dreams of like being this like secular pop star, but like all the music I was doing in real life was like somehow related to church and church context. And I, and I did like it. I like, don't think I absolutely hated it. Um, but I always in like my little 13 year old brain was trying to figure out how I was going to maneuver out of that. I think for me, something that felt like a big break, there was this, there was this thing called, uh, it was like the America's Christian, um, uh, America's Christian Got Talent. It was an online, like, stop it. That's amazing. (laughs) It gets better. It was this like online thing calling Christian artists from all over America to submit like a video of you performing. I sang the song, uh, The More I Seek You. I was playing it on my my guitar, it was a purple guitar. I had her, her name at the top. It was called Luna. I was, I'm in like our kitchen. Um, and so it was like, yeah, like you submit a video and people vote and like you go through rounds, right? Like people get eliminated each round. And so I made it to the final three and it was like people from all over the country and it was all online. My mom and I just like messaging everyone we knew on Facebook, go to this link and vote for this video, go to this link and vote for this video and just refreshing the page to like see like the votes coming in. Um, and so the, the, the prize was if you won, you would win like, I think it was $3,000 and then they'd fly you out to Nashville to this like Christian recording company and you'd record an EP. And I was like, this is it. Like, this is going to be my, I'm going to start off as a Christian artist. And then like three years in, I'm going to like take the risk and like transition into secular music. Um, and it's going to be great. How very uh, Katy Perry of you. Yeah. I was like, this is it. And, and like my parents were on board because like America's Christian got talent. Like I had the word Christian in it. So they were like, of course, like send in your video. And, um, so I ended up winning and, and I like won this thing. I wish everybody could have seen that Aaron and I both at the same time, exact same face. Open. we were like, I didn't know that was coming. Okay, I know. So, so I ended up winning. We like were in touch with the main guy, right. Who put it together. Um, yeah, it turned out to be a massive scale. <gasps> No, uh, I never got my money. I never flew to Nashville and recorded an EP. <sighs> like every time we'd get in contact with him, he'd always have another excuse like, oh, we're waiting for the money to be wired or something. And then finally, like my dad just sat me down and was like, I am so sorry, but like this just like wasn't real. It, it All the submissions were real. Like they were real people. Um, but like, it was just a scam. We have never looked into it today to see I remember that he tried to do it again the next year because someone put it on my radar and like I was like messaging some of the people who had submitted for that second year like hey just letting you know like we did this last year he still had my stuff like a banner on the website the second year like our first year winner like Vanessa Zuleta blah 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 and I was like gosh yeah it was really bad but it was definitely a crush moment. Like it was definitely like a, Ooh, I, this did not work out the way I thought it was going to work out. Like the moment I won, I was like, this is it. Like yeah. I'm gonna, 
that I'm going to go to Nashville. I'm going to record. I'm going to do this, you know, for a few years and I'm going to do my best to transition. I loved watching just behind the scenes stuff of like singers who made it. I love just the strategy of it. I love all the components, like all that stuff. Just like, it brings me to life. That was in high school. And then it was just, yeah, I, I mean, I continued with music all the way up until grad school, but I was just playing worship locally in our college or um, on a retreat. And then, yeah. Were the kids at school kind of like ruthless? Like you said, you won this thing, but you didn't, you know what I mean? I, it was funny. I didn't tell a lot of kids at school because I felt like a lot of them, I, so I was bullied pretty bad, like elementary all the way to like my first year of high school. Welcome Um, to Crush the Podcast. The music part of my life was never part of like my school life. You know what I mean? Like, like when I joined that band in high school, like that part of my life, like, and, and we like went all over New England and kind of the East Coast. Like we'd play at retreats and conferences. Like we were pretty good for a group of like six kids from Rhode Island. I'd travel on weekends to play at conferences, but like, kids at school would never know that it was just it was like two separate parts of me and it's because I think that kids at school were just like not concerned with right they were like more concerned with just like who's dating who and like what's happening you know in pop culture and and I already was so just awkward and not in tune with like everything that was hip um because of like how sheltered my upbringing was that it it just it didn't make sense to like integrate those two lives and so like I felt safest and more myself after school when I was like doing music when I was writing lyrics and and we would write our own music and perform it we built our own little recording studio in this kid's basement like and we would record stuff um even though like it never really saw the light of day except for like the communities that we were a part of locally like it was my safe space um and it was kind of like what I needed like it, it helped me realize that fame was not it like now I, I like today, I would never want to be famous. <laughs> I want to know. Okay. Twofold. I love that. You're like, that was my safe space. And the idea of to protect that, you know, protect that from the kids, that awareness that you knew that this was really important to you and you wanted to protect it is really amazing. I think it can go one of two ways with that. It can also go like, guys, look at this, look what I'm doing. And everybody's like, yeah, I don't care. you know? it was just safe for me. Like it's also like as a teen, I struggled a lot with anxiety and depression. And like, that was my outlet. I was around six other people who also struggled with those same things. And our outlets was really, it was really music. There's something about being creative and like getting your feelings out and having people that understand that it's like my favorite place to be. You know, I think it's why I like doing this podcast with Erin so much. She and I have a very similar vision we're not the same person. We just have a similar vision. And I think we both, our hope is that people don't feel alone, you know, and like telling these stories. Um, anyway, all that to say, so yeah. how did you go from this is it to where you're at now where you're like, I don't want to be famous. I mean, that's a pretty big <laughs> shift. I'll have nights where if I, like I'm alone, I'll just throw on like a Beyonce. You just had an Australian accent. That was amazing. You were like, if I'm alone, I, heard I can't that. even do it. I was like, oh. We've got a lot of accents on today's podcast. I think just like my perspective and my understanding of things that are important to me just changed. I had a massive transition within like just my personhood um, from the moment I started grad school. So that was like almost three, four years ago. It's like this giant shift in like everything that I 
just kind of believed and the way I saw the world and the way I saw myself within the world, like it all just kind of collapsed. It was a really powerful moment in my life because I think for me, my attachment to fame was in a lot of ways unhealthy because it was a constant need of like feeling like I constantly had to prove myself to people. I constantly Mm. had to show people that like I was worth something and that I could bring something to the table. And like this concept of like the American dream, like making it. And for some people it's like, it is fame. And I just think for me, it was just, there was just so much happening like in my, in the world around me of watching like child actors and teen actors and teen singers, like that was just it. It just felt like you either are going to like win a Nobel Peace Prize or like win a Grammy and anything else was like, you really didn't make it, you know? Um, so and it, no I, pressure. I, yeah. I just felt like I, and I do, I live in extremes. Therapy has taught me that. I think in college it started to shift away. Like I became more realistic. Um, and I, and I think in college I was like, okay, maybe I won't be a musician, but like, maybe I'll get a lucky break with like a casting call or something. Um, like I had like I had no experience acting and I like I didn't have headshots I didn't have an agent like I didn't have anything I was just like I'm just gonna be the person who rolls up and I'm gonna be like I just saw this and I really think you should they're like, like oh my gosh it's you we've been waiting yeah. for you how conceited that thought is right but um but can I interject because I actually don't think that's conceited and as somebody who's been as somebody who's been deprogramming or uh mm-hmm. you know unwrapping or whatever the wor- verbiage is of like a lot of my identity issues and fame and stuff I think it's like we all want the Susan Boyle moment we all yep. want the moment really where good. everybody is especially as a bullied child Aaron I think you yep. can attest to this too it's like everybody wrote her off when she walked on oh. and then she opened her mouth and it was insane and, you know, tears and goosebumps and all that. And like, we all want to be told, you surprised me. Mm-hmm. You are worth something. You are, you are valued. You are loved. Right, that right. is what we want to be told. And we all go about it in different ways. Some people, it's becoming super successful financially. Some people, it's fame. Some people, it's grades. Some people, it's, we're all go, even, even it can be negative attention, right? But like somehow that does something But. I think as someone who desired that so deeply and there, and I was the kid that also was doing all the plays and was taking all the, going to camps and doing things. And I was doing all the work and then went to school for theater and and moved out to LA and all that. I was doing all that, but I had all the same stuff that you're just talking about where it was like needing that, you know, to prove, prove myself, to prove my worth. Because if I prove my worth, then those people would finally know that I was worth something. And ultimately then I would finally, and it wasn't until it didn't happen for me that I had to really unravel that. And it was so painful. Yeah. I think my situation was a little different from the perspective of like, I was never in the whole prove them wrong mindset or even mm. the like, I never really wanted to be famous. Like that to me seemed like a fun, like side effect. I just really wanted to be part of a cast. Like I wanted mm. to have that built-in friend group. I wanted to have that built-in sort of family group. And I wanted to be picked to be in it. Do you right. know what I mean? I loved the idea. Yeah. It was so much more about the like friend groupness mm-hmm. of all of yeah. acting. And I think that's why when I started acting and I was like, 
I mean, I, I do love this. I do love acting too, but I was like, so much of this is not what I thought it was going to be. No, I, and I think like, it's definitely, it was that twofold. Like, I also feel like not only did I want to prove myself, but like, you're right, Aaron. Like I wanted a community too, that like saw me and accepted me and like wanted me there part of something great, part of something bigger. I don't know, but like, they wanted me there. They had like, like you said, like they picked me to mm-hmm. be there. Totally. And, like, coming from having like two friends, three friends, like knowing that like you picked me to be there, like that would have been that for like 16 year old me, that would have been life-changing. Again, I feel like I had a big 180 shift in my personhood in how I saw the world and what I ended up prioritizing. And like, I went from prioritizing, like, these are the things that I'm, that I want to do because they make me happy to like, these are the things I want to do because I literally just like want to help make the world a better place however I can Mm. and so like I had this shift where I felt like my priorities of this like this dream of music and fame really shifted to me like now just priorities being like talking about justice because I still attached fame to a different place now like I was like well if I can't be like a a secular you know singer or um a famous actor or actress like I'll be a famous like Catholic speaker I had like a massive space of deconstructing everything that I had ever interacted with in the youth ministry world in grad school and just saw the toxicity of this concept of like fame within even Catholic circles for me it's just like not what we're called to do within like our gospel narratives like it's never about fame like it's about community and about each other right And I just had this like shift and it's like, I felt like all my priorities that I had for the first like 20 years of my life, like completely collapsed. And I found myself in a space where I could create my list of priorities from scratch, like actually in a way that like in this state of my life, I wanted them to look like, and and now they, it looks completely different. Like I, I still love music. I still love movies. I still love like geeking out at behind the scenes stuff. But I think for me, a lot of what I'm passionate about now is very just like connected within how my reality is connected to someone else's reality, like even in my own neighborhood. And like, what does it mean to just like not only love and achieve the things I want to do, but in relation to loving and helping that other person, like achieve the things that they are also passionate about or like making avenues for people to be able to achieve the things that they're passionate about. Mm. Is there specific moment that triggered that or did it just kind of slowly unravel I I like talk about my grad school experience as like where I had the shift I hated grad school the first year I literally would tell my professors I'd rather drag my face on concrete than take <laughs> grad school like then go to grad school I absolutely <laughs> but hated that it. would be an interesting reality yeah <laughs> who's gonna drag their face on concrete tonight I, I, on NBC I, I, I remember telling our admissions officer, I was like, I literally would do anything else than be here. Like I was, I was just really upset. Um, and then I realized why I landed there and it was really to write my thesis, my second year. The moment Aaron was really when I started to realize how much my own views of the world and my own dreams were influenced by things like racism and assimilation and just like being a brown woman, daughter of immigrants in this country and how many parts of myself I felt like I sacrificed or shifted in order to fit within parameters of like white supremacy. And it was just, it exploded. So I ended up deciding for my thesis that I was going to write how there is this like 
Pentecost movement happening with first, second, and third generation Latinx youth in America, specifically Latinx youth who come from immigrant families, and how much our faith is so culturally integrated in and in, in the traditions and the rituals that our parents and our grandparents brought from you know from our homelands, from from our countries. And so I was just doing all this research. I was super immersed in it. And it was literally, it was triggering a lot of experiences within me that I had really kind of blacked out within, you know, my childhood, my teenage years, um, you know, just kind of always being in most situations, like the only person of color. I remember I came home and I stormed into our little apartment in Boston and I just like lost, lost it. I was just so angry. I was raging. Um, and, and that for me was the shift. It was where so much of the things that I prioritized shifted because I started to realize too, how a lot of my attachments to the concept of fame, um, and like watching like the movies that I was watching and listening to the artists I was listening to, like it was very rare where I saw myself or my culture being represented. And I like, will never forget one time I saw this article. Um, it was years after Raven did Disney Channel and she like talked about how difficult it was like being a black teenager on Disney Channel, kind of being tokenized, right? In so many spaces. And I remember like, I was like, you know, that could have been me, right? Like if I had pursued this and like my parents had been game, like that could have been me like this tokenized like Latina in these spaces and whatnot. And I already was in so many spaces, like the tokenized Latina. And so that it was, it was in working on that thesis and all the research I was doing um, and how personal it was for me that I had this massive shift. It, it all the parameters changed. And um, now at like 27, like I understand why 16 year old me wanted it, but I'm just, I don't feel like I need to be validated by that dream anymore. And I'm thankful that like I had the dream as a kid because I think there's still parts of it that I like carry with me um, as reminders. But I think my my need for validation has has incredibly shifted. But there's like themes, right? Like I still am super attached to the concept of being a part of a community. Um, it just looks different. And so I see a lot of the thread that like is consistent from like my childhood to where I am now. But and again, like when I said in the beginning, like never in a million years did I think I was going to study theology. Like, I think that was also a massive shift. Like when I decided to go to college to literally, as so many people in my life put it, learn about God <laughs> and like literally to go from like, I want to be the next Taylor Swift to like, I'm literally going to go study theology. People were like, where did that, like <laughs> what happened? <laughs> Being okay that I had also other interests because I was so scared of letting go of this dream because I felt like I couldn't have another big dream. It, does that make sense? Like if it wasn't a dream set up like, like a musician or a fame. Yes. Or, and so like, I think there was a fear even in college for me to be like, you know, people be like, did you stop singing? Like, did you stop playing guitar? And so it feels like settling. Exactly. And there was always this fear of like, oh my gosh, am I lazy? Like, did I stop trying? You know, like I haven't played my guitar in like almost a year. We were in a pandemic. I didn't have much time. Like I was, you know, transitioning work. Like, and I think four years ago, like that Vanessa would have felt guilty saying that. Also, my parents invested so much. Like they bought me this brand new guitar and they put me through all these music lessons. And so it kind of felt like while it was still my dream, like there was still an attachment to other people in my life who were invested in that. Um, 
And so like, it was a very, I think, liberating moment for me in grad school when like everything that I was and everything I believed and everything I dreamed about kind of just fell apart. And it made me really angry because I didn't know what to do because it was the first time in my life that I had to like dream for myself, sit back and think about the things that actually lit a fire inside of me. But it was liberating because I started to discover those things. I don't know if that makes sense, but- 100%. I have a really good friend who has a podcast and it's for D1 college athletes who their whole life has been about playing this sport and they kind of know they're not going to go pro, but they've never really thought past it. And then college ends and they're like, yeah. I don't know what my interests are. I don't know what I want to do. All I've ever done is this one sport to get to this point. And now this point's over, you know? My entire life was completely around being famous and being a famous actress. I mean, I was voted most likely to become famous in high school. And it took me so long as in like, I'm 40. And I would say in the last three years, two years to really come to grips with that didn't happen. Mm. Am I a failure? That was a senior superlative is stupid. I won both most talkative and most likely to become famous. And they were like, which one do you want? And I was like, I want most likely to become famous because it's going to happen. That sticks with you. And and like, totally. yeah, and I always think like, did I do something, you know, should I, should I have worked harder? You know, was I just lazy? And like, I think I talked about it once in this like article I wrote a few months ago. I feel like I've put in some parts of myself to rest and I've had to learn to be okay with that. And to say like, thank you for like the time that we had, but like, kind of like your chapter has ended. I also don't think I'd be a great famous person. Like I look like this 90% of the time. So like my pap shot, like my paparazzi shots would like really just- I thought you were be- about to say my pap smear. I was like, oh, oh, okay. So like, would not be interesting. Oh, like my paparazzi shots would not be interesting. Okay. <laughs> so all of this said, what would you tell, like what advice would you give to your 12 year old self? But if you could sit down in a room with her, what would you say? So I had a, I had a massive unibrow growing up. I had one, <laughs> straight, one straight brow, like it was just straight. Um, and one of the things I've started to see on a lot of just like models and stuff is like, and the embracing of the unibrow and just being like, yeah, these are my brows, deal with it. And so like, I, I wish I could go back and tell her like, it's going to be a trend someday. And I, and I would tell her to um, not shave them with a razor uh, because eighth grade, I shaved off my entire eyebrow. Oh no. The day before picture day. So yeah, it's okay. Body hair is a thing you're fine. Like people will talk what they talk. And when you grow up, it really won't be that big of an issue anymore. And then more serious is just like, I would tell her to just do the things that make her happy, that bring her joy. Cause I, I, so much of my childhood and teenage years were again about other people. And while I loved music, right. A lot of it was just about the expectations that were set out for me by other people because of talents and gifts that I had. I pursued them and I did them for the accolades and the impressions and the approval of other people. And it's only recently that I've started living my life a hundred percent, not trying to really seek anyone's approval. Like if you don't like me, that's fine. Not everyone's going to like me. If you don't think I'm great, that's fine. Not everyone's going to think I'm great, but like realizing that I don't have to find my validation or my value within that space. Like I am still allowed to feel empowered within myself and within the things that bring me to life and, and bring me joy. And I wish I would have done that more as a, especially as a teen. I, I think it would have made a huge difference for me. But at the same time, 
I did not get to where I am today without having those experiences and having to like deconstruct from them and that there will be a community for her. You don't even have to pull up a chair to the table. The chair's already there and they've been waiting for you to come and sit in the chair. That would be. I don't know if other listeners will feel this way, but as you were just speaking, it was just so the gift of knowing that not everybody will like you Mm. is a really big gift. And I think so many little kids are conditioned to try to make everybody like them because we're conditioned to behave, which is not a bad thing. We have to behave, right? We have to like, ultimately you have to tell the truth. You have to like not hit. There are certain things about childhood that, that have to, those need to be learned. But in that there's such an element of like being good. And Mm -hmm. if I'm good, then people will like, and then it gets translated to so many different things. Or if I am popular, then this will happen. Or if I wear this, then this will happen or whatever. If I become famous or if I show my cleavage or if I, you know, it's like, it's so many different things. I don't know if I work out, then I get that. Like, there's just so many, if I, then I, and um, I don't know. I just, I hope my, our listeners, I hope our listeners really hear that. And other people have said that, but I don't know why it just really hit me when you were saying it. Not everybody's going to be on your team, but there's a team waiting for you. And for them too. Mm. Exactly. I think for me, I've had to learn, and it's this love your neighbor that I've really been wrestling with the last year and a half. People might not like me and I know I don't like some people. But I also know like I'm called to love you. My dislike for you should never minimize your worth of human dignity, your purpose and calling to be able to sit at a table. It should never be that detrimental. I mean, we're human and we're flawed. And like, yeah, there are people that are not going to like you. And there are people that are, I don't like, and I think a part of life. So we always ask our last question is what was your crush song? So like, what was the song when you were really kind of in the thick of it. And I want to know what your crushed song was for this grad school experience, but I also want to know what your like 12 year old crushed song. Uh, (laughs) I'm thinking, I know my 12 year old one, the grad school one might be a little harder. I might have to like open up Spotify. (laughs) My 12 year old one was changed by Taylor Swift. That was like my go-to, like it just, oh, it made, it fueled me. I literally have Spotify open now to look at like what I was listening to in grad school. It was uh, Awakening by Amanda Lindsay Cook. There's this part in the bridge where she's, it, it's like a, it's like a, a buildup. She's saying like, this is my awakening. Like I'm never going back to sleep. And so that's the bridge. And she's just from, it starts off very quiet. And then it just like builds. And that's kind of how it felt within me. Like it felt like there was this very, it was slowly happening from my last few years in college, my year of service, and then entering to grad school. And she has this moment where she like, just like loses it after the bridge. And it's just like, it gives me chills every time I listen to it. Um, I mean, this is the first two lines stuck inside a house. I built lock the doors and close the shutters. I'm going to listen to this. Um, Vanessa, thanks so much for being here. For having me. This was Thank so much you. fun. This was fun. It was cool to talk to, I mean, obviously Kirsten and I have gone on about our thoughts on fame and wanting to be kid performers, but like, it's interesting to hear you come from such a different perspective on it. So that was really cool. If you ever end up at the Grammys or the Oscars, like I <laughs> do expect a ticket. Like.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.